Welcome to another episode of Author Conversations presented by Arcadia Publishing and the History Press. I'm Jonathan Foster. At a time when we should all be out together enjoying America's favorite pastime, we find ourselves being told to stay home without even a live game to see on TV. Through wars and other hardships, it seemed that baseball was always a constant. Today I'm going to talk with author Mark Healy, who has a new book out entitled Gotham Baseball, and what a book it is. Baseball may be the great American pastime, but in New York, it is a religion. Names like Ruth, Mays, Garrett, Wright, and Robinson live in the hearts and minds of New York fans like apostles. From the street corner to the subway car, debates about which Yankee, Giant, Dodger, or Met is better than others have raged on for more than 100 years. Now the best of the best are chosen for each position as New York's all-time great team is imagined. She wins like the Babe and Jackie had their stories told with a fresh perspective. The compelling case for Mike Piazza, not Yogi Berra, as catcher is sure to spark arguments. Sports writer Mark Healy crafts the golf and baseball team through captivating tales of the legends of the New York game. Mark C. Healy has been a journalist for more than 25 years. He is currently the editor-in-chief of The Wave, an award-winning newspaper in Rockaway Beach, New York. He lives in New York with his wife, Kaylin, and his three children, Julia, Jack, and Jessica. This is his first book. Mark, thanks for taking time to talk with me. Well, it's, it's, it's a pleasure. It's a real pr- pleasure to be, uh, to be part of the program. All right. And, you know, this is another episode that I'm recording while we're in this time of isolation and separation. And I'm glad to get to speak with you about baseball, but beyond baseball also. So your own story in the beginning of the book, it's a great read. You never seemed to give up on your dream, and now you have this new book out about Gotham baseball. And the dream I'm talking about, of course, is Gotham baseball itself. And I enjoyed your story as much as the stories in the book about the different players and why you put them on this team. Because I like a person who gets after it, who goes after their dream. Your love for baseball goes like for a lot of us back to when you were a kid. And you talk about that in the book with your friends. But do you remember who taught you the nuances of reading the box scores and stats? Or was it just a learning experience you went through with your friends reading those sports pages? No, it was my dad. My dad was really kind of my um, my Yoda, <laughs> you know, when it comes to baseball. Uh, I, I write about that a lot in the book. I didn't specifically talk about, um, you know, you know, the, the, the intricacies of the box scores and doing the scorecard when we went to the game, because it was never as much as I enjoyed that aspect of it. Um, reading the box scores was, was more of something that I enjoyed doing because you always wanted to talk about how your guy, you know, your player did that night, uh, the next day with my friends on the stoop in Brooklyn, you know, talking about the games, uh, from the night before. So, Um, It was my dad that really kind of taught me about all that stuff. Uh, But I really enjoyed the box score and reading the box scores more than the actual, you know, doing the scorecard. Like even today, like when I would coach my son and they'd ask me to do the book, I'd say, yeah, no, thanks. (laughs) So, you know, just too much work. You know, I like to experience the game and watch the game and, um, you know, taking time to look down to take notes which is how I always looked at the scorecard was always, um, you know, less than enjoyable for me. Yeah. And, you know, and I know you grew up and I'm gonna let you answer the question, but you know, for me growing up, I grew up in Georgia. So the Braves were my team growing up 
and right. I still love the Braves. You know, even though now I go to a lot of minor league teams here games here in Charleston, and the you know our big World Series rival in the late '90s was the Yankees. And our AAA, or not AAA, our single A affiliate here for the River Dogs, we're a single A affiliate for the New York Yankees. So that's kind of weird, but we get to see a lot of great players come up, um, you know, all around. You know, uh, seeing Aaron Judge come up was great. You know, a couple of seasons ago with Gary Sanchez. But I remember when I was a kid, when the Braves did win the World Series against the Indians, and then the my player was David Justice, of course. In the very next season. The Braves trade him to the Indians, along with Kenny Lofton, and it broke my heart as a kid. Who was that player for you that got traded away? Oh, it was Tom Seaver, no question. I mean, it was Seaver. Seaver, you know, um, you know, growing up, you know, uh, you know, Seaver was the guy. You know, he was the best player the the Mets ever had, and he was just. I've always like when I was a kid, even though. I was wild and all over the place. I wanted to be a pitcher. That's, I played a lot of different positions. I love playing the outfield. I love playing third base, but you know, I really wanted to be a pitcher. Even today, one of my nervous ticks is, you know, to calm myself down, I'll pull the rubber and, you know, look for the sign and then throw a pitch. So Seaver to me was the guy that really kind of encapsulated what the perfect pitcher should be. So when he was traded in the summer of 77, um, you know, which was a crazy time in New York City for those uh, people in your audience who are old enough to remember, uh, 77 was the Son of Sam summer. Uh, 77 was when the Mets traded Tom Seaver. 77 was when Elvis Presley died. And Elvis and Tom Seaver were two of my favorite people on the planet. So to see, you know, Seaver go to a team uh, in the Reds, and, you know, um, was was really, you know, was really kind of crushing. Um, it was really rough. So I could see as an as an, you know, as an older guy and I look back, you know, I wrote a lot about that in the Seaver chapter and the Seaver chapter sometimes got away from me. Mm. You know, I felt like I was getting more angry than I was celebrating his career. So I I, I, I had to with full disclosure uh, Johnny, I had to I had to write about how I, the, how it was getting away from me as I was writing it. Um, yeah, and I, that's so why I brought Seaver justice. Was that I could guy. feel that. Seaver was you. that yeah. guy. Yeah, Seaver was that guy for me. You know, it, it's weird because you okay, you brought that up, then you talk about looking at it back in. You know, it, if you know, and for his career, I guess it was better that Justice got traded because he would never have gotten you know more chances. You know, and his career went to different places than it would have went to you know with the Braves. You know, and it it kind of taught me too to be more than just a Braves fan. To and it's kind of something when you said this in the book too, how you became kind of a New York teams fan. Even though you love the Mets, you learned to also love the game as a whole. And it kind of taught me how to do that too, not just with baseball, but with other sports too, whether it's college football or NFL. To not just have a favorite team, but also have a love for these games. Also, I think baseball is the only sport I'm really like that. To be honest, though. <laughs> Um, because, because in football, believe it or not, I'm a Falcons fan. That is my team. Uh, really? if I ever write a, a y'all huge Falcons fan, in fact, I'm, 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 I'm in the process of writing a piece about how awful the new uniforms are, but, uh, yeah, I'm a huge Falcons fan. So I pretty much hate everybody else in the NFL. Um, you know, uh, with college football, I'm a Notre Dame guy, hate everybody else. <laughs> So, oh man. You know, hockey, I'm an Islanders fan, hate everybody else. So I can't believe you said Notre uh, Dame. Although, 
you know, it's funny. I do, I do appreciate though. I do appreciate certain teams. I do like, especially the teams that have a history. Um, so that always kicks in that historical appreciation, you know, for, for, uh, that particular franchise or that particular team. So in all, in all seriousness, um, yeah, my, my, uh, my fandom is all over the place and really it, it all started when I was a kid. I'm not a guy that, um, you know, I'm not a guy that turns on teams, you know, I don't care how much they lose, you know? So I, I, uh, it builds character, so I have a lot of character. That's what I tell people. Yeah, you know, and the name of the show is Author Conversations, and sometimes we do chase rabbits. I'm glad you brought up that uniform because during this isolation, I haven't had a lot of chance to talk about the Falcons' new uniform. I'm with you 100%. I do not like that uniform at all. Oof, that's awful. Yeah, it's kind of <laughs> I'll XFL email you looking. I'll the story once I write it. I'll email it to you because yeah, I'm going to try to be it. very analytical about how what an atrocity they are. <laughs> yeah, I just don't get it. As, no, no, I know they were trying to maybe try to go for some kind of cl- classic lookers. It doesn't have that feel at all. But, oh, well, no, that's neither here nor there. It kind of hurts me a Not little bit. Not even a little. <laughs> yeah, but that's what we got. Maybe <laughs> you know, if we all yeah, get back well, to playing football for the next again. five years. For the next five years, anyway. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know, and there are names in your book that even casual fans are going to recognize. You got you know Babe Ruth, Lou Gehrig, uh, but you know Irvin. You talk about Monty Irvin, I mean, he could have been the first African-American player in the major leagues, and his story is very interesting. But the reason I bring him up is because that was when I realized how great of a job you do with historical sketch and background on these players. You're not just telling his story, but you're telling the stories with the stories of other players in the books, but you're telling the background of what was occurring at the time to give us that context of what's happening in baseball and in the country at the time as well. Was it important for you to make this not just a stat book, but also a history book? It, it had to be a history book because that's how I write. Even as a journalist, when I'm, when I'm, when I'm covering my stories in our newspaper, I want to know the backstory, you know, because, you know, those who, you know, ignore history are doomed to repeat it. And I'm a big on history. It was always my favorite subject in, in, in school. Mm-hmm. I always like to know, you know, especially when I watch a movie that's supposed to be a true story. You know, the first thing I do is go to the, you know, go to Google and Google up, you know, uh, you know, what what's actually accurate and what isn't. What was, you know, um, dramatic license and what was, you know, the the portrait of the person. And that, you know, that's why we had illustrations of the players in the book, in addition to the, the, the photographs, because um, illustrations create a portrait. It's a portrait of that player. If he was a member of the Gotham baseball team. And that's what I tried to do with the chapters, create a complete portrait of the player and try to find a nugget or two for each chapter that maybe that person that considers themselves a baseball historian um, will be like, Oh my God, I didn't know that, you know, and that, that's who I was, you know, that, you know, I know that I'm going to get the baseball fan with this book, but the people who are serious about baseball, I also wanted them to come away with something that, you know, maybe they didn't know, or maybe they hadn't read before, or maybe they haven't seen before. And, you know, especially with, and this is the the example uh, a few years ago, and I, I touch on it in the book in the Garrett chapter, but there's a player named Babe Dahlgren that was famous for 
replacing Lou Gehrig when Lou Gehrig's streak ended, when Lou Gehrig was diagnosed with ALS. So um, the guy, the, the gentleman that wrote the foreword for the book, Marty Appel, well, Marty, um, a few years ago, probably about a decade ago, said to me, uh, Mark, I have this book about Babe Dahlgren by his grandson. You know, would you like to read it? It's called The Rumor in Town. And, you know, I, I do anything for Marty because he's always been so supportive of my career. So I said, OK, Marty, uh, of course. But in my brain, I was saying Babe Dahlgren. I mean, how interesting could this story be? The guy, all the guy is known for is that he replaced Lou Gehrig. Um, and when I read the book, I was blown away and I don't want to spoil the book itself for anyone that wants to read about it. But, um, because I know that the audience for this podcast probably loves history and wants to know about Babe Dahlgren right now. It's called, uh, a rumor in town. It's by Matt Dahlgren and it's all about Babe Dahlgren and what he went through in his career. And that was a lesson for me, uh, Johnny. And that's why I wrote the book the way I wrote it, because I felt that, um, you know, if, if, Myself, who I can cons- I consider myself a big baseball historian, and, and when I learn something out about, about a player that I didn't necessarily know, you know, I want to read that book. I want to experience it. So that's why I wrote the book the way I did with that lens. Yeah, and it's just a it's all encompassing. It's you know, it's more as a it really is a personal story and there's a personal touch and it's it feels like you're writing about a friend the way you're writing about it It is it's a personal thing for you too but it's written professionally if that makes sense too uh it's it's it really is beautifully written i really enjoyed it was a great it was a great escape to read uh during this time too but let's talk a little bit about the gotham team um so early on you had different jobs before having the plan for gotham baseball which has had different iterations, but baseball always seemed to be a constant for you. So where along the line of your career did you start to develop this idea for the all-time great New York team with players from the Giants, the Dodgers, the Yankees, and the Mets? Well, because, you know, I've always read, I've always read books about the all-time Mets, the all-time Dodgers. You know, I have so many of those books and I love baseball books. I love them. You know, I have a ton of them. And um, so a few years ago, I had this idea um, it's probably 2013, so it's probably like five or six, seven years ago, where I had this idea to write a book about or or put something together, whether it was going to be a podcast series, whether it was going to be uh, you know an essay thing where I released it serialized the way Stephen King did with the Green Mile, and I wanted to do a Field of Dreams kind of um, treatment of all these great players that have played together, and. You know, as as I as I mentioned in the book, you know, Marty Appel was like, "Who's your bad guy?" And I was like, oh, "I can't, I, I I can't, I can't come up with a bad guy because I just want to tell the story." You know, so I created an all-time ballot, and um, what I did was is I put together the I put together uh, the idea, and then I sent it out to a bunch of different people in baseball. Uh, a couple of executives, a couple of players, a couple of coaches, a couple of journalists. And I said, look, I want to come up with a with a ballot so that people could vote on the best player for that position from the pool of those teams. So we had, you know, somebody representing the Dodgers, somebody representing the Giants, somebody representing the Mets and somebody representing the Yankees. 
And then I, I thought it was important because I always remember the write-in candidate, Steve Garvey, who was my one of my favorite players when I was a kid, getting into the All-Star game. And I had another aspect, an other, you know, where people could write in someone that mm. maybe didn't get to the ballot. And that ballot was really kind of um, the genesis of this book. You know, that, that ballot went out, I guess, about 2013. Um, and... You know, it was such a fun, it was one of those email things. I don't know if you've ever had like those email groups where people, you know, debate about subjects and things like that. And that's what, what it really was. And that's where I picked up a lot of the, um, a lot of the ideas that wound up in the book. A lot of it came from those ballot discussions via email. So, you know, that's, that's really kind of where it all came from. It was, it wasn't the end all be all, but it was certainly uh, a good chunk of the foundation of what we wound up doing with the book. Yeah. And the book itself too is filled with fun facts about these players, such as, you know, I didn't know Willie Mays played stickball with kids in Harlem and I knew Babe Ruth played himself in pride of the Yankees, a Luke Gehrig story. But I didn't know that he had lost so much weight to do so that he almost died of it. How many little tidbits like this did you come across either in the email chain or researching for the book that you didn't know beforehand? What other little tidbits would you like to share with us? Well, most of it was the research, you know, most of it was the research because during the course of my career, I've done a ton of interviews um, with authors, with players, with players who played with players, with coaches that coached players. So during the course of those dozens of you know interviews then you also have the conversations that happened before and after those interviews so you pick up a lot of stuff and then of course you have to vet it you know because you have to trust and you know you can trust it but you have to verify it so there's a lot of that stuff you know um um billy uh uh the the billy staples who um gave me the tidbit about monty irvin's contract being sold uh, to a dentist, <laughs> you know, I mean, that when you go through that Monty Irvin chapter, there's so much crazy stuff that I had never known. And Billy, uh, who had been on my podcast that I used to do at Mickey Mantle's restaurant in Manhattan, you know, he, he told me that story and then I read it in his book and then, you know, just a whole bunch of stuff like that, you know, um, uh, with, with Mike Piazza, you know, uh, his, you know, I interviewed, I, I interviewed him. And we talked about uh, different things. And, and I always try to, uh, you know, uh, Johnny, I always tried in my career to ask the questions that no one else was asking. You know, um, when I would be in a clubhouse after a game, most of the people there were, ta- were there to write about the game, mm-hmm. right? The game that happened that day. Or during, before the game, they wanted to know stuff about that game that was going to be played that night. It was very real time. Whereas my stuff was always feature driven and magazine driven and, you know, um, you know, you know, kind of profile driven. So I was always asking questions that really had nothing to do with the game itself. You know, that particular day, it always was about their career or something that had happened at some point in their in their process. So that's kind of how I was able to come up with so many of these little, you know, nuggets like with with. um, when you read the Jackie Robinson, uh, it kind of uh, the Jackie Robinson chapter, there's stuff in there that people don't even realize that 
you know, about the interactions between Jackie Robinson and Leo DeRocher in 1948 and how that whole thing uh, and that at the time, Jackie Robinson, for the rest of his career, hated Leo DeRocher. But then when you uh, after their careers and you see that, you know, Jackie kind of reflected and said, wow, you know, maybe I overreacted uh, at A, B and C and things like that. So, there, you know, there's so much stuff like that that just came about by you know, either interviews or conversations or, you know, reading a ton of, of stuff. Yeah. And besides just these tidbits too, I mean, there's players, you know, that go further back into baseball history also that, you know, I've never heard of, but, you know, and you're a baseball guy, but were there players that you had to dig into the past to find out about also that maybe you hadn't heard of? Jazzy Vance, I think that chapter is the the one that was the hardest to write. But then once I figured out how to get get around, because I, I you know I even talk about the process in the book. You know, it would have been so much easier to have somebody like Dwight Gooden or or David Cohn, guys who had played, guys who were relatively recent, who had played for both the Mets and the Yankees from a marketing standpoint. You know that would have been an easy sell, but I just didn't feel that would be honest. I felt it would be, oh yeah, I'm picking this guy because he might sell me five more books, and I didn't want to do it that way. And when I looked at Dazzy Vance and I looked at his career numbers, because that all came through research. You know, I was trying to find that fifth pitcher to put on this rotation, and you know, it kept coming back to Dazzy Vance. You know, and I, I, I even, not that I. Um, not that I, uh, you know, disrespect statistics because I don't, I mean, numbers are a huge part of baseball. Anybody mm-hmm. says that numbers don't matter is just foolish, but I don't let it be an end all be all for me, you know, um, especially if I saw that player play. And in this case, there were so many guys in the mix for this fifth spot. I wanted to make sure I picked the right guy. So it really, in that vein, Um, I really had to bear down and look at the stats and, and, you know, when you look at Dazzy Vance and you look at how far ahead of the curve he was when he pitched and how he dominated during that era of when he pitched, you can't say that about Dwight Gooden. You can't say that about, um, David Cohn. You can't say that about Jerry Kuzman. You can't say that about, uh, Don Newcomb. You can't say that about, Red roughing, um, you know, because these guys, they dominated, but uh, excuse me, they had their moments of domination. They had their seasons of domination. Um, and, you know, Marty Appel was so upset that I didn't put red roughing on the team, but you, you can't compare the two careers. I mean, Dazzy Vance was a better pitcher and that, and that was probably, I mean, I'd heard the name, don't get me wrong. I'd heard the name Dazzy Vance, but I really had no clue about how dominant he really was. So this whole project, I mean, you, you know, there's a lot of work who went into it, but it it had to be one of those things where it was a pleasure to work on. Yeah, you know, I mean, there were there were days, there were days, um, you know, and I, I, this is probably blasphemous, uh, Johnny, <laughs> but but um, you know, there were times when I was in church on Sunday, and I really wasn't connecting with the with the homily uh, that the priest was giving his sermon. 
And in my brain, I'd be like, if I work on this chapter today, how am I going to start it? <laughs> you know, so it, it was a, it was a pleasure to work on, but it was certainly uh, a lot of, lot of hard work, a lot of tough work. Um, but once I got cooking, you know, on a chapter, then it was absolute, you know, it was like, you know, all the orchestra was playing all the instruments, you know, you mm. know what I'm saying? Um, you ever, there's a movie, there's an old movie with Jimmy Stewart called, um, the Glenn Miller story. And obviously it's about the band leader. Oh yeah. And, it's a great movie. you know, it, he's constantly in search of the, the sound, the sound. And then when he finally hears it and it was such and you know, and it's a, such a journey to get there. And then when he finally gets it, that's what writing this book was like. Not that I'm comparing myself to Glenn Miller, but just every chapter that I found, because, you know, when you write, and I said this on an interview on an interview recently. There's so much stuff that's been written about Babe Ruth. There's so much stuff that's been written about Lou Gehrig. There's so much stuff that's been written about, you know, Jackie Robinson, you know, and I didn't want to be, you know, I didn't want to write something that, that was so off the beaten path that no one would be able to get it. But I had to find a different way to kind of introduce each chapter to deal with a player that people Think, or at least they think they know everything there is to know about that particular player. So that was the biggest, that was another big challenge, you know, finding that, um, finding the, the way to tell a story about somebody, or tell a story about something that you probably have heard a thousand times in a different way. Yeah. And you succeeded, you succeeded. And something else I want to bring up too, cause it's fun and it's crazy. You brought it up earlier in the in the podcast because it was actually about football with the uniforms with the Falcons. But, and I'm, I'm real uniform sensitive. I think you probably got that because I agreed with you on the Falcons uniform. But you had uniforms made up for your Gotham team. And I love them. In fact, if you ever have a made up, I want the one from the 50s. I will <laughs> pay for a home uniform from the 50s. I really like that one a lot. Uh, is there any plan to have these made now you think yes there is there is awesome um, we're in the process of finding uh, the right partner to produce them um you know uh it, it's a it's and especially now with the economy it's a question of you know it's just a question of finding the right fit you know as far as you know to pardon the pun mm -hmm. um because we want to do caps we want to do t-shirts we want to do sweatshirts we want to do jackets you know we really want to um because i i have always felt that gotham baseball had that ability um, to be something that would bring together fans without you having to, you know, state your oath. You know, you could wear a Gotham baseball shirt, you know, and just be like, hey, hey, that's a cool shirt. You know, like we had some dummies made over the years, you know, um, you know, hats, uh, excuse me, caps and T-shirts. And people were like, oh, what's that? You know, and that's kind of what um, the whole thought process was really. Um, and I talk about it in the book. Todd Radham is the guy who designed not only the uniforms, but he also designed the cover and did the logo uh, for Gotham Baseball. And Todd is, you know, nationally known. He's worked on, you know, he's, you know, he created the Brooklyn Cyclones uniform. He created the, you know, Anaheim Angels uh, current uh, uniform set. Um, he's done so much with the NFL and, and the NBA. And uh, he's the guy who designed all the uniforms for Ice Cube's Big Three. So the guy is incredible. Wow. And I'm lucky enough to call him friend. And, 
you know, he had said to me years ago, I want to collaborate with you on your next project. And then I, I came to him. I said, well, here, this is something we could collaborate on. And he was, you know, all for it. So um, his he got it. Like, I didn't even have to give him that much guidance. Like, I pretty much I, it's kind of funny. Um, I actually uh, drew some concepts together and sent them to him. And they were like, you know, like a child would do, like in crayon, <laughs> you know, Um but he he took it and he built you know just a beautiful uh, a beautiful wardrobe for our players and I will always be like eternally grateful for that and then John Panisi is the gentleman another great award winning uh, artist that did the portraits yeah so it was kind of like I felt you know I felt it was an important aspect um, an important component of the book to have that visual connection uh, that people could you know, connect to. So I'm, I'm, I'm really glad that you love the uniforms. I'll tell Todd next time. I yeah, really, really love them. Uh, high marks, high marks for those uniforms. Um, let me ask you, I got you on the line, uh, a couple of baseball questions. Um, so, you know, earlier we mentioned, you know, we have all this going on with the COVID-19 in the world. Uh, what do you see if baseball looking like? Cause I, I kind of feel like that would go a long way with the healing process even if we have all the teams playing in Arizona this year do you think that's a possibility I think it's a possibility but I I can't speculate and I I really thank God that I don't write baseball for a living that I don't have to uh, produce stories every day Mm. uh, about speculating about what's going to happen just you know just wake me up when it happens I don't want to I don't want to rage or clap or really even think about it until it's in motion. You know what I'm saying? I really don't care what we get. I really don't. I'll be honest with you. I really don't. Uh, fanless games, um, seven inning double headers, Ooh. universal DH. I just want baseball. You know, yeah. I just want baseball. I just want the games. I don't care about players playing video games. I don't care about. Yeah. I mean, Stratomatic <laughs> is great. Don't get me wrong. I love Stratomatic and I love doing that kind of thing but not in place of real baseball. So, you know, I, 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 like I said, wake me up when we get something. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I do. I do keep waiting for some kind of news every day to see, you know, I'm hoping something happens every day. I'm fine with no fans being there just so there's some other kind of distraction uh, that we can have. I think that'd be great. And, yeah, games that count. Games yeah. that count, Johnny. You know, that's that's all I want. Games that count and and, you know, and beating the Braves every time we play them. Oh God, really? <laughs> and what's funny because of my Falcons fandom, <laughs> because of my Falcons fandom, you know, when the Braves played in the NL West, they were kind of like my NL West team, you know, like mm-hmm. I kind of love Tommy Glavins, one of my favorite players of all time. Um, and you know, uh, I always kind of sort of, I was rooting hard for the Braves in the 95 series against the Indians. And of course, uh, even though they lost to the Twins and to the Blue Jays, I was rooting hard for the Braves then. But then the Braves joined the NL East, so then that kind of all <laughs> fell apart. Yeah. So <laughs> I've seen the Braves, and the Mets go at it many times at Old Turner oh, Field. Oh yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. I tell you, it's a uh, it it was always interesting, you know. And we would get lucky, and we would be able to get pretty good seats behind, you know, in the whole dugout area. So. You know, I'd get to have a little bit of chatter with Mike Piazza sometimes. So it'd be, that was always fun. <laughs> but uh, I'll tell you this, though, even though as many times as we played the Yankees, I'd never felt any ill will towards the Yankees, and mainly because of who their manager was then, Joe Torrey. 
because he right. played for the Braves. And right. my dad, you know, had so had some really good interactions with him when my dad was a kid growing up. Because, um, you know, the Braves players back then, they would go to, like, if there was a small-town bank opening, you know, the Braves would send players down, you know, to be there for the bank opening and things of that nature. And it would be, it would be like a Hank Aaron or a Cox or a Tory, you know? So, right. you know, Dad got to meet him, you know, more than one time. He was he would always talk about how nice he was to all the kids and everything. And so that kind of made me like Joe Torrey that way. So it was kind of weird that even though the Yankees beat us all the time in the World, or, you know, multiple times in the World Series, I I couldn't bring myself to hate the Yankees because of that. So, you well, know. you are the exception to the rule because most people I know hate the Yankees. <laughs> I just can't. Do I it. don't. I don't. I, I, I got over that a long time ago, but. You know, um, some people, I mean, I, the whole Met hating, Met fan hating the Yankees thing, I get it from a big brother standpoint, but at the end of the day, they don't play in our division. And, you know, outside of the 2000 World Series, we don't really play them when it counts. So, you know, in the Subway Series things, I don't get excited about, you know, winning in the Subway Series. So, uh, unless it's a real Subway Series in October. But, um, you know, it, that, but that's fandom, you know, that's the yeah. way fans are. You can't tell fans how to fan, you know, and then, because when you do that, that's when you get in trouble. Well, you even get some of that down here. If we, uh, you know, if when the river dogs play Columbia, which is, and they used to be down in Savannah actually, but if we play Columbia, you know, they are, uh. They, they are a feeder team for the Mets, a minor league affiliate for the Mets. So you right. have sure. you have some people chattering back and forth at the game. I'm like, guys, it's a minor league team. Some of these players won't even be playing for the Yankees. They might be playing for the Braves or the Royals or something. You know, they might get traded. You know, it doesn't really matter. Right. And then, of course, right. if we play Greenville, Greenville, you know, is a minor league affiliate for the Red Sox. So that takes up to a whole nother level. So it's it's crazy how it peters down even into the minor leagues. No, absolutely. I saw I, I saw it firsthand when uh, the Cyclones uh, started their their, you know, started uh, in 2001 playing the Staten Island Yankees. Those were the big, you know, the <laughs> Brooklyn Cyclones, Staten Island Yankees. The Ferry Series was huge. You know, I still say that when the the you know when the Brooklyn Cyclones in their first season, and this was right before 9/11, in their first season, in the in the championship round, not the final round, but in the championship round. They faced the Staten Island Yankees. Still, one of the most exciting games I've ever been to was when the when the Cyclones clinched over the Staten Island Yankees. One of the, one of the greatest games I've ever been at. Wow, I t- there's something about minor league ball that's just I don't know. I love it. I like I, I've been to a lot of major league games, but I really love the atmosphere at a minor league ballpark. No, it's it's great. It's great. It's really uh, minor league baseball is a lot of fun. It really is. I'll tell you what else was a lot of fun. Uh, this time you let me spend with you today has been great, and I really appreciate you taking the time to be with me. Well, thanks for having me on. It was a great conversation, and anytime you know you want to, you know, renew it, let me know. I've uh, been a lot of fun. All right, thank you so much. I appreciate you, Mark, and thank you, the audience, for listening. You can find Mark's book at ArcadiaPublishing.com or at your local bookstore, which you should be sure to visit when all this is over. And while you're at ArcadiaPublishing.com, enter in your zip code to search in the search bar to see what books Arcadia Publishing and the History Press has on your town. If you have an idea for a book and want to tell the history of your town, reach out to Arcadia by visiting ArcadiaPublishing.com, stroll on down to the bottom of the page, and click the Make Me an Author link. It's a first step in writing your own history book and telling the history of your town or region. If you have questions for me or episode suggestions, shoot me an email at ArcadiaAuthorConversations at gmail.com. 
As always, I want to thank my buddies Jay and Bill's Unnamed Band Project for the show's theme song. Remember, you can visit them on Facebook at Jay and Bill's Unnamed Band Project. And I'll talk to you soon.